well. I'm really, I'm grateful for uh, pastors Troy and Jim and, the, and our worship teams and the way they lead us in singing these songs of worship every week. But like I remind us frequently that, that worship is not just about singing songs. It's much bigger than that. Worship is the posture really of our lives. See, we give our attention to, the, the, the time that we give to something indicates what it is that we worship. We, we can notice what it is that we worship by, by, by looking at what we actually kind of bow to. What we bow to or spend our time pursuing, that's the thing that we think is valuable and that's the thing that we tend to worship. Many different things, right? So just to get us rolling here, what are some of the things we worship in our modern American Western culture. I mean, just think about what the kinds of things people pursue, what they value in our culture. Just turn to the person next to you and name something that you see as worshiped in American culture. Just take a minute here. Go ahead and just, you know, one name, name something. Everybody play along. are much quieter than the first service. It's a very polite second service. All right, let's start right in the front here. What do you guys, anything you come up with in the middle section? What'd you say? I, hear, I heard money loud, but what did you say, Karen? Self. self. Oh, people worship self. Ooh, that's, that's good. That's, a, that's true. Sports, by the way, we forgot to stop and pray for... Kyler Murray to recover in time to play for the Cardinals. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I could throw a Vikings Packer joke in there, but I'll get in trouble with somebody. Kelly, what's something people worship? Coffee. Coffee. <laughs> yes. That's, that, nobody said that last service. That's good. Anybody over here, anything else? What people worship? By the way, I, I try not to be nervous. We have like a guest over here who's like an amazing preacher, and I felt like, man, I wish I could just sit down. And Remy visiting us from Wisconsin is amazing. So make sure you say hi to them later. Anybody over here, anything valuable? Yes? Money. There you go. What else over here? Anything else? Freedom? Cell phones. Yes, we give a lot of attention to the altar of our cell phones. You got to say football. You're right. You're right. I know. I've been told today already, like, Vikings Packers are starting right now, Doug. You better make this quick. So I didn't want to make it a three-sermon series, so we're going to pack it in today. And, you know, sorry. One more from Yvonne Devon. Jobs and position. Very true. Very true. Very good. So, so I think that's really good stuff there. All very valuable, important for us to remember. And so to get started here this morning, I want to look at a passage of scripture from the book of Matthew. We're going to look at chapter 6. We're going to pick up in verse 19. And the context is that Jesus is teaching here, and he gets to this very specific thing about how we notice what humans tend to think is important and, and what he says about that. Uh, Jesus says, verse 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And you guys read verse 21 with me. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now we'll skip ahead to verse 24. Let's read this out loud together. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. 
You cannot serve both God and money. Ooh. Now, I want to point something specific to this word money. Uh, we have it capitalized here, and in some of your translations, it is capitalized. And in maybe some of your Bibles, depending on the version you have, um, does anybody know what other word sometimes is substituted there? Mammon. Some Bible scholars here today. Mammon. Mammon. So for today, what was that? I missed it. It's on the board. Oh, man. You can't get ahead of me, Carrie. Come on now. You're spoiler alert here, right? Carrie's like helping you guys out. That's really good. All right, so here we are. Um, and by the way, that mammon phrase is going to be really important for today because mammon is the name of a rival god. Now, some of you know in the Old Testament there are, there are false gods that were worshipped by different cultures and sometimes the Jewish people themselves. But here, God named, uh, uh, Jesus, sorry, Jesus names one of these rival gods and says you cannot worship both God and mammon. And remember here, though, how's this all tracked down? Jesus starts out talking about what it is that we treasure. He says, be careful what you treasure, because what you treasure is going to own your heart. And then he gets real practical. Of all things, he could have chosen, like any of the things we started with, maybe, you know, it would have been prophetic if he said we worship football, but some of the other things, right? Um, all these other things that we named, he could have picked any one of them, and he gets really specific and says, you cannot serve both God and money slash mammon. Now, lots of us would hear that and go, well, of course not. Who, me? Like, I don't serve mammon. I serve, I serve God. Heck, I don't even have a lot of money, so it's obvious that I don't serve mammon, right? Which, okay, that'd be, that'd be a good thing. But I do think that Jesus is on to something here. In fact, I think that this mammon thing can influence ourselves and it influences our culture maybe a lot more than we would like to admit, in fact, I want to get more specific and start being we. I'll st stop being we for a second and be me. Um, in just preparing this message, I, I recognize that when it comes to me, I still sometimes spend a lot of time focused on providing for myself. Uh, I spend a lot of time, you know, devoted to getting stuff, protecting my stuff, adding more stuff to my stuff. And then I can get really afraid especially if my stuff is threatened or there's an area of money that I get nervous. And when that happens, I notice that what I'm really thinking deep down is when I get afraid about money, I'm thinking it's all up to me. It's all up to me, and I don't really trust God to come through for me. In fact, um, you know, this is kind of more our smaller service here. Is this a safe place to confess my sins? Is it a confessional? Okay, Are you guys safe place? Okay, okay, good. Good, good. I'll get to that in a second. I'm just making sure I can go there. Um, as most of you know, this is the first established church that I've served as a lead pastor. I, um, I led as a lead pastor a church planting community before this, but um, this is the first established church, and it's been a crazy ride. I love Hope Covenant Church. This is a great church. I love this church family. Um, and, I, and I've been here for four years on staff. I've been the lead pastor for three years, and uh, right now, and here's part of my confession, is just I've gotten really nervous a little bit um, when I look at our giving, because it's way behind budget, like really, really behind. And this is not uncommon. COVID has hit lots of churches, um, and it's been on a lot of it's been difficult for a lot of churches, I'll just say that. Now, by the way, our, one of our elders is going to do a more detailed kind of big picture update on our finances soon, so that's not what this is about. Um, but just real quick, um, 
Even though our mortgage got paid off this year, which is amazing and grateful to you guys for jumping in and just paying that thing down and paying it off, um, it only saves us each month, having that paid off only now saves us $1,500 a month. Some of you maybe didn't know that. Um, because years ago, does anybody know what it was at? 15000 a month. And before COVID, it was 10000 a month. Thankfully, that the, our denomination refinanced it, said, hey, drop it down to this just to make sure you get through this season and you all help pay it off. It's gone. But, but, you know, sometimes people think, wow, we mustn't have any, you know, we must be fine financially. Well, it was only $1,500 a month that it saved. Uh, and we're actually about $100,000 behind on what we had planned for giving this year. Now, we've been... Good stewards, so there's lots of stuff that we've gone, we can't do that, we can't do that, we're going to have to cut that, we're going to have to wait on that. Um, but even with all that good stewardship, we have spent about 40000 more than has come in in giving. And here's the point, this is the confession, that's been waking me up some nights with some fear, a little bit of fear some nights. And so while we do need to let that financial be, need be known, so there you go, now you know, um, um, here is where I'm actually going with this. What it reveals about me, uh, about my own fear, my own struggles when it comes to the area of money, like I had to come face to face with that in prepping this message, is that I have to confess to you that with everything that I've been taught about this area of money from scripture, um, and even how I've seen God come through over and over and over again in my life and in the church, especially when it comes to this area of trusting him with finances and money, even with all of that, I still have times where I catch myself feeling this pressure and thinking, okay, this is up to me, I gotta make this happen. And I'm not trusting God to come through for me. I'm not trusting him to come through for really us. And I think about that, and there's my confession, right? And it's kind of like, isn't that crazy? Like, I know better, I know better, but somehow there's this residual fear that just keeps poking at me. And here's what my fear about, you know, my finances or about our church finances, and here's actually what each of our fear around money can reveal. It can reveal what it is that I put my trust in. In fact, I imagine this passage that Jesus, that we read from Jesus a moment ago, I imagine maybe here's how he's getting to the heart of it quickly if I rephrase it this way. So who are you going to treasure, Doug? Who is your provider? Is it you? Is it money? Or is it me? Who will you serve? Who will you worship? You, you can't have it both ways, Doug. You can't serve both me and another God. So this morning, what I want to do in the rest of our time is give us a few images and a few pictures that I hope will help us enter more deeply into this teaching of Jesus. And the way I want to jump into those pictures is I want to look at a story from Genesis 14. There's a passage, a story in Genesis 14. It's a story that involves Abraham, and at this point, he's just still called Abram. God hasn't changed his name yet. But I want to give you a little background for the episode before we read the relevant passage here. Um, what's happened is uh, Abram's nephew, Lot, has been captured, captured by four kings. So Abraham pursues these kings. They captured his nephew. He, he finds them. He routes them. He fights them. Uh, and then now we are about to come to the place here where he's bringing his nephew back along with many other people and loads of treasure. This is this kind of victory parade that's happening. And in the middle of this you know, victory parade, 
The king of Salem, who's, he's one of the good guys, uh, his name is Melchizedek. The king of Salem comes out as he's on his way, this parade going by, and he brings out bread and wine for Abraham, which I'm hoping he brought out more than the little bits that we use for communion. Anybody, right, with me on that? Someone? No? You like the little peel off the plastic wafer? No, we don't use those. But yeah, anyway, so sorry, sorry. ADD kicked in on me. Where was I? Um, all right, so he brings out bread and wine uh, to, to them. And by the way, this king, Melchizedek, is also a priest of God, and he blesses Abraham. And here's what he says in verse 19. He says, Blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And I just pause there for a second. I think this is such a great reminder for Abraham as he's coming back with all this stuff. He comes back, this victory parade is happening. There's all this treasure and the king steps out and reminds him that, that God is the one who possesses everything. God owns it all, right? It says, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And not only that, but but. God gives, gets credit. God gets the credit for Abraham's victory because it all belongs to God. Now, we'll move to Abraham here. Apparently, he totally gets it. It connects with him because here's how he responds in verse 22. I have lifted up my hands to the Lord, God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth. And if I was walking with him on the parade here, right, he's saying, God, everything belongs to you. It all comes from you. It all belongs to you. You're the possessor. And if I was walking with him, watching this, I'd be like, Abe, that was a good move. That was really good. Like, you totally get it, man. See, because in his heart, he's expressing that he knows all of this, all this stuff comes from God, So he says it out loud. He raises his hands to heaven as an expression of what's happening in his heart, which, by the way, is oftentimes why we raise our hands. Some of us raise our hands in worship. We're expressing externally what's going on in our heart, and so we raise our hands. Now, we can say, like Abraham did, we can sing the songs, we can say the words like he did, but he didn't just stop there. He raised his hands, and he didn't just stop There, with this expression of raising his hands, Abraham doesn't stop there. In verse 20, he gives a tithe, a tithe. It's a tenth of all he has. Gives it to God, as who is the possessor of all things. And by the way, because I didn't want this to be like a three-part series, and we're just doing one message here, um, just mention real quickly that that some people um, say that tithing is is a part of the Mosaic covenants, and we're not under that as Christians. But here's the deal: is that tithing happens in this passage right here, long before the Mosaic government, long before the law of Moses was given. So it's not this obstacle or or it's not this kind of optional, obsolete bargain with God that no longer matters. Uh, It's a pattern that was established long, long ago. So again, we don't have time to get all into that. Um, But here's my question when I look at this tithing of of Abraham. So why did Abraham give a tenth, a tithe? and, And why do followers of Jesus tithe on our income today? And why is it a tenth? And again, we don't have time to get into like, all the answers of that. But one thing that's helpful, I think, is to understand um, about the Hebrew worldview and about ancient cultures historically is that a tenth is a symbol of the whole. A tenth is a symbol of a whole. 
So when Abraham is giving a tenth of all the spoils of war that he just came from, he's showing us that a tithe, a tenth, is a tangible way of entering into and acting out in a physical way the truth of a spiritual reality uh, that he had just declared. God, it's all yours. And then he acts it out by giving the tithe. He's saying, God, you are possessor of heaven and earth. Everything I have belongs to you. And then he acts out, he takes action by giving. See, when you and I give, it's not like we give this stuff for this money to God, like he needs my cash, like God doesn't need my money. That's not why we give. The reason we give is just like Abraham, who gave a tenth of all he had to remind himself everything I belong, have belongs to God, it comes from God, it belongs to God, we do the same thing for the same reason. Which, you know, for me, can be easy to do. Like when I'm in a worshipful mood and I'm just enjoying the presence of God, uh, it's easy for me to keep my eyes on Jesus up there. Might even be easier to give when my focus is on God. Um, but then life happens. <laughs> life happens and suddenly I start worrying about the stuff down here and I lose my focus on the bigger picture of God being the provider and I start to do my life by myself and suddenly all this looks like it's my problem and it all belongs to me and I got to hoard it and I got to have it. And I think Abraham could have looked around at all these spoils of war and he could have lost perspective and thought, okay, this is all my stuff that I now have to keep. But to keep a God-centered perspective, he gives it away. A tenth, a tenth, a tithe of all he had, a symbol of the whole. And by doing this, by bringing this offering, he aligns himself and reminds himself with, that, that his life is aligned with God. And by the way, um, because sometimes some churches or Christians might teach odd things around this, um, I just want to say this. Abraham is not in the giving of his tenth after a great victory. He's not paying God back for the victory. He's not doing that. Um, he is not buying God off right now, so maybe he can get more favors later. He's not doing that. He's not bribing God. Um, Abraham is not trying to appease God, fearing that if he doesn't appease God, then God's going to nail him. He's not doing that. He's not giving God a tip, like, oh, 10%, I guess that's a, some kind of a tip, right? No, he's not doing that. That would be really demeaning, actually, and it would entirely miss the heart of what Abraham does when he gives this tithe. What Abraham's doing here is a powerful thing. He's aligning his life, he's aligning the affairs of his heart and life to the Lord God Most High, acknowledges that God is the possessor of all things, the provider of all things, and to demonstrate and remind himself of that reality, he gives a tenth of all he had. Uh, Dave Johnson, who I'm not sure is the originator of the phrase, but he's the first one I heard use um, this. He calls this the spirit of the tithe, the spirit of the tithe. Spirit of the tithe, Dave says, is this, an alignment of my life and yours that lifts our hands toward heaven and says this, you are Lord God most high, you are my God, possessor of heaven and earth, everything belongs to you and everything I have belongs to you as well. And then Dave says, a tithe is simply a tangible way to act that out. And I like that, the spirit of the tithe. It's aligning our life to the Lord God most high, to his kingdom, saying everything I have belongs to you, God. And out of that posture comes our giving as an act of worship, 
See, this is not legalism. It's not. It's not a demand with ramifications. If you don't, you're going to get punished. It's not any of that. Friends, giving, even tithing, is an invitation. Hear me. It's an invitation to freedom. It's an invitation to freedom from mammon. Freedom from mammon. It really is. And again, I wish that we had a couple few weeks to talk more about this because there are so many stories where we could have people from this church tell stories of the freedom, of the blessings that they've experienced by, by giving sacrificially, by tithing. Uh, single moms who were like, oh man, I just learned that I'm supposed to, this is something that's really important to do. And they start doing it not knowing where it's going to come from and they can tell stories that would blow your mind. And so each week when you and I give our money in the offering, I want us, that's why I always remind us that we're making a statement of worship. This act of giving is worship. And I believe that a very practical, legitimate, biblical way to practice and maintain this on a, a weekly basis or a monthly basis or whatever regular basis, a way to do that is to tithe. We take that check or that cash in our hand or we go online. It's a tangible way to look at something and say, Lord God, most high, possessor of heaven and earth, everything I have belongs to you. I give this to you. You are my provider and I'm grateful. Now, I want you to hang on to that picture. We'll come back to it in a minute. That Abraham, hands to the sky, looking to God. Hang on to that picture for a minute. We'll come back in a moment. And I, and I know, by the way, that lots of you already tithe. Um, people that become members here at Hope, this was established long before I came here, but when people become a member, they make a commitment to tithe. And I do not know who gives what. I don't look at the books. I don't want to know. That's not my thing. So I don't know who gives and who doesn't give. That's an on-purpose thing. Um, but I do know that a number of you do tithe uh, and, and give at least a tenth of your income. But I want to contrast that with kind of the, the American church today, uh, because while most churches teach some form of giving or tithing, here are the current annual numbers. Ready? Here we go. 50%, 50% of Christians give between zero and $50 a year. 20% of Christians give $50 to $500 a year. And 30%, the last 30%, give over $500, by the way, if it's $500 for almost all of us, that's not even tithing. It's $500. That's not 10% of what most of us, some of us, yes, but maybe probably not most of us. Added to that was this stat that I thought was really interesting, um, that today, and this was pre-COVID, by the way, these stats were pre-COVID, uh, Christians give less today than they did back during the Great Depression. So during the Great Depression, Christians gave 3.5% of their income, but today, uh, we give less than 2.75% of our income. And again, I just want to contrast that data, that stuff, contrast that thing, put it over here, contrast that with the, the, the Abraham posture, right? The spirit of the tithe looks very different than those stats indicate. Now, I just want to circle back again here to the thing we started with, Jesus was talking about the money and mammon deal, and in Matthew 6, Jesus said, you can't serve both God and mammon. And um, that mammon word, which is what I want to focus on for a minute here, this, this is a word that was only used by Jesus in the Bible. He's the only one. And I'm pretty sure that there's a reason for that. I think that Jesus knew something about 
money and what was behind money that most of us just wouldn't realize or, or know right off the bat. I'll say it this way. Jesus, being God and all, he knew that there was something spiritual involved in money. So he says, you can't serve both God and mammon. And again, they think he's speaking of a rival God there. You can't serve God and at the same time serve another God named mammon. In fact, some scholars believe that this mammon thing is an evil spiritual force. So when we're dealing with mammon, if they're right about that, whether we realize it or not, we're not just dealing with uh, paper with numbers on it. We're not just dealing with a bank account or credits and debits or any of that stuff. We're not even just dealing with attitudes when it comes to money or mammon. We're not even just dealing with addiction sometimes when it comes to mammon. See, I believe that, that when we are dealing with mammon... It falls into the category that Ephesians 6.12 calls a power, a ruler, a spiritual force of wickedness in the heavenly places. And if I'm right about that, then mammon is something that's bigger than you, it's bigger than me, it's a spiritual force. Richard Foster, in his book, Money, Sex, and Power, says this. When Jesus declared, you cannot serve God and mammon, he is personifying mammon as a rival God. He's making it unmistakably clear that money is not some impersonal medium of exchange. Mammon is a power, and it seeks to dominate your life. Hmm. Add this picture now to that thought. Um, in Milton's classic work, Paradise Lost, Milton goes through and imagines uh, different things, and one of the things he imagines is what was heaven like before Lucifer, before Satan betrayed God with a third of the angels and revolted. Before that time, here is what Milton said about Mammon. He said, Mammon was thought to be the least upright of all the spirits. Even before the fall, right? So before the devil convinced a third of the angels to rebel with him. Even before the fall, the angel Mammon, it was believed, studied the gold of the streets more than the glory of of the Father, right? So the glory of God is here, and he's bent over studying the gold of the streets. Uh, another picture here, a scholar, Kittle, in dealing with the word, um, he indicates that the, the term mammonos is used to refer to mining, to, to digging something in the ground. And that gives us another picture, right? You picture a gold miner, a miner underground, pick and shovel, obsessed with finding gold and scratching from the earth, like possessed with trying to scratch from the earth a treasure to get life and abundance from this world focused down here. But the best picture, I think, for me of what it looks like to be a slave to mammon is this one from the Lord of the Rings. There you go. Anybody know who that character is? Gollum. Gollum, the character right there. Um, if you know the story of Gollum in the Lord of the Rings, at one point his life was, was beautiful. But he got this ring. He killed for the ring. And he had to have the ring. It became his possession. It became his what? Anybody know his? His precious, <laughs> he became eventually this hideous creature crouching on a rock in a desolate place. And all he did was stare at the gold ring saying, my precious, my precious. And when I think of Gollum, I think, yeah, 
<laughs> That's what mammon does to us, does to me. Now put all that together, right? You got the staring at the streets of gold, the hunched over gold miner, Gollum. And what I think we can see and take from this is that the posture of mammon is to be looking down, to be looking down. And the influence of mammon on you and me is to get us to take our eyes and fix them on the ground. And when we look down and stay fixed on this stuff down here, we are pulling our eyes away from God who is our provider. It's a change in posture. See, the influence of mammon gets us to look down. It's, it's digging, it's scratching, it's searching for life and value here. It's saying, oh, no, no, life is here. Life is found in what we can grab around us and touch and possess. So just, like, come on, hoard it all down here. So with that picture of mammon... I hope this helps us maybe imagine more clearly what Jesus might have been saying when he said, you can't, you can't serve both God and mammon. You can't both say, God, everything I have belongs to you. You are my provider. And at the same time, with live our lives looking down, digging, scratching, searching for life here and finding all our value now. And by the way, this is not about being a person who either has money or doesn't have money. This is not about being rich or poor. Because regardless of what we have, maybe you're rich, maybe you're poor, but the influence of mammon on us is that regardless of what we have, it is never enough. It's never enough. That's the influence. Regardless of what you have, it is never enough. So we hoard what we have. We grovel, we dig, we panic. We try to desperately find our security in the things down here. Which makes it really hard to then give freely. Because I'm clutching. And by the way, that doesn't mean that you will never give. Even uh, people that are dominated by mammon, every once in a while, they can still do charitable acts. But I'm not talking about doing charitable acts here and there. I'm talking about living with an alignment of my life, with hands raised, eyes lifted towards heaven, instead of being gripped and captured by the things of this earth. I have a friend who um, is a teacher, and he um, told us years ago, that sometimes he goes out in the superstitions, especially after like a rain has washed through, you can go in some of these washes and you can pan for gold. And he just finds these little fragments of gold. But, it, you know, it's kind of fun. He would take his students out to do that sometimes. And sometimes he would get something a little bigger, which was cool. And he had a friend who was telling me a month or two before who had found a pretty good chunk um, out there. And so Heidi and I yesterday were out deep in the superstitions, drove way out some dirt roads, got out and just did a nice little hike, beautiful canyon we were in. And I started thinking about that because we were walking through this wash that looked wet still. And so I'm like staring at the ground and I'm looking and I'm seeing all these little sparkles, but you know, and I'm looking and looking. And I did that for a minute or two before I stopped and I laughed. I'm like, I'm doing exactly what I'm preaching about tomorrow, right? I just needed to stop, right? And so I stopped Got my eyes off the ground and looked up at all the beauty around me, which I was missing, hoping to get a little fleck of gold. 
I was missing on the beauty around me. Missing it. See, friends, we want to live like Abraham, we, where we lift our eyes and we declare at all times, Lord God, possessor of heaven and earth, everything I have belongs to you. This is a posture of life, friends, a posture of life. And while everybody else is trying to get this, and grab this, and hoard this, we're invited to stop and look up and see more, to see more. Now, just a question for you internally. What's going on inside of you as I talk about this? Because I've had to live with this all week, okay? So now, <laughs> you, you guys think about this, right? What's going on? Like it's maybe, here's what I wonder, a couple things. Maybe some of you actually are hearing this and it's providing a sense of relief. Like, oh man, I've been wrapped up in this fear and I can loosen my grip. Or maybe you're noticing stuff is loosening its grip on you. And I think that could be the case for some of us here. That, and, and that's called freedom. <laughs> that's called freedom if you're experiencing that. And I hope, and we've been praying that that's what happens this morning. But I would also say, and I know this personally, that lots of us don't feel that way at all. In fact, if this mammon thing is as powerful as I suspect, I kind of wonder and kind of expect that some of us are experiencing the opposite of freedom. We're experiencing a tightening, right? A constricting of our hearts, a tighter grip, more fear. Maybe even for some of us, something rising from your toes. Maybe something's been triggered in you, and maybe even triggered for good reason, because you've been a part of a church or a teaching that approached this really legalistically and very demanding and lots of pressure and all that, and I get it, I get it. But if you're experiencing some kind of constricting or tightening, I kind of wonder if that doesn't signal that we're getting close to the heart of something that's really powerful. I wonder if maybe there's even something that we're poking at that's causing us to be afraid, something that's maybe trying to tighten its grip on our heart, grasping at our heart, maybe even a rival God who's trying to keep our focus off of the one true God, maybe there's a stronghold or a foothold. I don't know for sure, but I wonder. And again, self-reflection. This is part of why I wonder. Um, one of the signals that, no, that, that helped me pay attention, wow, this mammon thing does have some weird power. Um, and one of the things that helped me notice that is our resistance to even talk about it. Right? Because even though Jesus talked about mammon and Jesus talked a lot about money, and I love to talk about what Jesus talked about, right? I have really hesitated to talk about money. Huh, wonder what that is about. I mean, you know, give me a little bit of credit. Maybe, you know, like if this is your first Sunday here, <laughs> sorry. Um, <laughs> it's the first time in three years and eight months that I've talked about this. That's probably overdue. Um, or if you're here and you think, oh man, churches just want my money. I want to be sensitive to that because it's true. Many churches, lots of churches, do have what I think is a distorted or even a disordered focus on money or on uh, prosperity. You know, name it and claim it, believe it, receive it, mark it and park it, brothers, come on, right? <laughs> you can laugh at that. That's okay. Just a couple laughs. Thanks, Brittany. Yeah. But here's the deal. Like, I don't want to play into that whole stereotype. I don't think it's good. But I do think that there is a spiritual power behind mammon, and there maybe is even a grip of Satan that, that he has around the topic of money 
in the life of Christians, and it keeps us, it keeps me from even wanting to talk about it, right? And long ago, um, I learned again from Dave Johnson that the result of living in fear of those kind of no-talk areas, uh, being fearful of even talking about something, is when we live in that fear is we allow strongholds to remain, We allow strongholds to be maintained. Everything has more power in the dark. And strongholds don't get broken by our remaining silent. Lies don't get dispelled by us not talking about stuff. And so Hope Family, as we move forward as a church, as we launch into God's purposes and intentions for us as a church family, I think that it's time for the people of God to stand up and break strongholds in this area and in others. But for this area, for us to declare, listen, everything belongs to God and the enemy doesn't get to grip us with stuff anymore. Let's circle back to the words of Jesus that started us out. Cannot serve both God and mammon. Okay, then. Okay, Doug. Then how do we break the grip? How do we make sure that, okay, I'm not worshiping mammon, the money's not my God? How do I make sure? Well, there is one surefire way to make sure (laughs) that money isn't our God. You ready for this? Ready? Give it away. Give it away. Give it away. And again, I know. Because I experienced this myself, right? Even as I probably said that, immediately for some of us, our fear gets touched deeply, right? The fear of giving is simply like, if if I give of myself or my money or my stuff, I'm not going to have anything left for me. I can't do that. And I think that that fear probably touches a lot of us. We think, oh, if I give of myself or my resources, I'm going to be making myself poor. And because of that, we hoard, we clutch or maybe we carefully measure out what we do give. Generosity might not be in our vocabulary. And when we live that way, clutching and hoarding, when we live that way, it comes with a fear of a prison. It comes with a prison of fear that we end up living in if we live that way. But friends, here's some good news. We don't have to live that way, do we? We can be free. And as we realign our lives with God, that it all belongs to him, all belongs to him, it means we lift our eyes, we open our hands. And when we do that, I believe he breaks the the chains of fear and he frees us from the grip of money. I want to close with one story of a man who experienced the power of greed, of, of money being broken in his life. It's a guy named Zacchaeus, right? If you went to Sunday school, you heard the story about Jesus and the wee little man was he, Zacchaeus, right? What kind of a tree did he climb up in? Sycamore tree. Just, all right, sycamore tree. Not sure why that detail was pertinent, but maybe Remy can tell me afterwards. He, he probably taught that whole thing. Now, if there was everybody, if there's ever anybody in Scripture who's a really good example where money or greed had its grip, it would be Zacchaeus. He's a tax collector working for the occupying Roman government, which means he's a traitor to his own people, the Jews, working for the Romans, collecting taxes and then keeping a huge chunk for himself. He's somebody that's a picture of a guy who's digging his life 
from the earth, trying to secure himself with provision that he can come up with. He, he was a miser. He was a liar. He was a cheater. He was a, he was a Scrooge on his way to becoming Gollum. So consumed with money, he didn't care if he ripped you off. His posture was probably, I'm going to get more and more and more and more for me until he has an experience, an encounter with the same God that Abraham called the Lord God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. See, Zacchaeus encountered Jesus in Luke chapter 19. And when Zacchaeus experienced the love and the grace of Jesus, he says this in verse 8. Jesus, all my, or half of my possessions, Jesus, half of my possessions, I will give away to the poor. And to those that I have defrauded, I will pay back four times what I've taken from them. And I don't know about you, but, and I'm no math genius, right? But I, I look at that and I go, wait a minute, half of what you own, four times of what you stole? Like, dude, that's not a tithe, right? Like, huh? tithe is 10%. Like, what are you doing, right? See, this is generosity now. He's so ambushed by the grace of God, the love of Jesus, that the chains of greed were broken in his life. And he knew the power wasn't in just saying the words. He knew for himself he needed to follow through and do it. And when he did it, I believe the power of mammon, the back of mammon, the influence of money and greed, that was broken in his life. It was broken, friends. And I love, if we read on here, notice what Jesus calls Zacchaeus. Not a liar, not a cheat, not a sinner. Jesus claims this tax collector as a follower of God. Says this, Jesus says, this man too is a son of Abraham. That's just so cool. Like Zacchaeus went from this Gollum-like figure, scratching and hoarding, to the posture of Abraham. Open hands, raised to God, face to the sky. God, it all belongs to you, I give it give it away. I give it away. Hear God speak, friends, from Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that they may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. So much I wish we could touch on in that with the storehouse and the other pieces here. But, 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 but here's the one I just want to pull out of there. Did you know that this verse right here is the only place in the Bible where God says, test me. Test me in this, God says, you take a step, you begin to give. I'm gonna come behind and provide for you. Prove me now in this. See, God's inviting us to press through our fear and by the power of God to begin to give and by doing that to break the power of mammon. It's incredible. Worship team, will you come? Now, don't worry, we don't have tithing commitment cards we're going to pass out. I didn't think of that, so relax. Not going to be an altar call for those of you that want to, you know. You like that, Jim? 
I want to remind us of what I started with. Worship is not just about singing songs. It's much bigger than that. Worship is the posture of our lives. And so then here's the question I've been having to ask myself all week, and now you get to join the fun. What's, what's the posture of your life when it comes to this mammon and money thing? It's a question for you and for me. What's the posture of your life, my posture, what is it, when it comes to this money and mammon thing? Again, we want to figure it out. All we could do is look at the thing that we give our attention to, our time to. That's what we worship. That's what we pursue. That's what we worship. That's the treasure. And it's my prayer that as a pastor here of the Hope family, that we will all begin to find some freedom here to worship God in our giving. It's, it's, it's my heart to see all of us. This is not about, hey, we got we to gotta make budget. We got to, you know what? We're going to trust God with that. We'll pray. We'll let you know what the need is. You respond to whatever God says to you. But that's not why this sermon's being preached. See, I want to see us as a people freed, freed from the chains of mammon, the fear around money. It's my hope that you and I can start worshiping God with all that we have and all that we are, where we look to him as a continual posture of all of our lives, not just finances, but all of our lives. Lord God, everything belongs to you. It all comes from you. It belongs to you. Will you, uh, will you stand with us? Again, I'm going to ask you to do something in a moment that I think is important. Um, it's kind of along the lines of the spirit of Abraham, the spirit of the tithe. And if you feel the freedom to do this, in a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, to open your hands in a moment, to raise and open your hands as we make a declaration together. And again, just picture Abraham who lifted his hands toward heaven. And we're going to do the same thing as we lift our hands. If, and again, I hope God gives you freedom. If you resonate with this invitation to move into freedom in this area. And again, I'm going to ask you to do something. I think this is really significant. This is important in the life of our church, but it's awkward in some ways because we don't do this type of thing a lot here at Hope. But I'm going to invite you to do this with me. But if your heart, here's the deal, if your heart is to be freed from the grip of stuff, I want you to repeat after me this declaration. I'll read a line and then you repeat and I'll read a line and you repeat but will you join me as we do that in right now physically just opening your hands, raising your hands even as we do this declaration together. Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, everything we have belongs to you. Let's, let's say it again with your hands open. Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, everything we have belongs to you. And so in Jesus' name, over our church community, over this family, with the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, I bind and break the grip of mammon and fear in this place and on our community. Father, I ask you would set us free to look up, to see you, to see more. But 
Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, will you release in our community the spirit of the tithe, the spirit of generosity, the spirit of freedom, because it's in you we trust God. I pray this in Jesus' name.